Well, we are in the final part, the final part of this series we kicked off at Easter, looking at the things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And the Gospels cumulatively, no one Gospel covers all seven of them, but the Gospels cumulatively, when you put them all together, um, cover the seven things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And we've in an eight-part series because we wanted to set it up at the beginning on Easter to have this mindset that we look at this because the resurrection really does change everything. We've said this over and over again. So if you've, if you've got your notes available, if you've got the little awesome little notes we handed you, or you have your version events app open and follow along in your phone, then that's what we're doing is the, is the truth that the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything everything and so many times we have to keep that in our mind and keep that factored in as we look at what Jesus had to say and we've come back to this passage of scripture and we've looked at how these two ladies responded eight times now you ought to be very familiar with this passage but for those who are new I'll set it up one more time what we've got here is we've got a couple of ladies who showed up on what we call resurrection morning. This is Jesus has, has resurrected just freshly. And they showed up first thing in the morning, headed to where he was buried there in that tomb where the stone had been rolled. And they, they're going expecting to have to ask somebody to roll the stone away. And they have their supplies to finish prepping Jesus' body to be <clears throat> interned there forever. They've got their spices, they've got their oils, they have all these different things. They come fully supplied and they walk up expecting to find a sealed tomb, some Roman guards, and having to ask for help. Well, they get there, stones rolled away, no guards. All of a sudden, they're freaked out and as they're there, then these angels, bright shining angels, show up and here is where we catch up with them. It says, in their fright, their women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you that while he was still, while he was still with you in Galilee? He'd all, they, these were words they had heard. These were words they had heard. These aren't fresh words, new words. Never been, they, they'd never been exposed to them. These are words they had been exposed to. This is what Jesus had told them. He said that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. And then they remembered his words. Now all of a sudden he told them that they were gonna ha- he was going to be raised again. He said it straight up. There's no secret, no cloud, no illusion, no metaphor. And somehow they missed it. They read metaphor into it. They saw something else. And, and they brought into it what I believe is that there was too much of a focus on one piece. And that was on Jesus' humanity. That they were going to find a man in a tomb. But that man had told them that he wasn't going to stay dead. And then all of a sudden they were surprised when he did what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to do it, and then they find themselves surprised. They didn't just go check and see. Well, he said he was going to be raised from the dead. Before we lug all this stuff over here, our spices and oils, let's just go check and see. No, they fully expected it. They lugged 
the stuff. They went to go and do it to, to, to prep his body. They fully expected that. They were surprised that he did what he said he would do. Now, I want to tell you that I think you and I, for most of us, especially if we've been Christ followers for any length of time, we tend to have the other problem. They focused there and, and they were not anticipating Jesus' divinity to come through on what he said his divinity was going to come through on, him being God. That he was 100% man and 100% God. And so here as they do it, then, then the angels reference him as son of man. That, that fleshly part of him would be raised from the dead. And they had focused too much on it. I think our problem is so many times there are some promises we get, as you and I get, we have connected with Jesus' humanity. And our problem is, is we focus too much on his divinity. Now see, they walked and talked with him. They saw Jesus the man. They saw Jesus the man teach and do miracles. And yes, he was Messiah and they embraced him as Messiah, but they still saw him as Jesus the man that did crazy things no other man had done. But when it was all said and done, their final expectation was the man side. He was still going to be in the grave. And they approached him based on that. And there are some places where, I, where they missed it there. And I think you and I miss it so many times when we approach Jesus just on his divinity side. And as we look at the last thing Jesus said, what I think what we need a reset button on is being reminded that Jesus was a man. And that we approach him as a man. Not just God. We've got that. We understand he's divine. He's the son of God. He's risen. He's powerful. But sometimes that makes him a little inaccessible to us. That makes it to where we forget who he is and what his humanity brings to our equation as we grow and mature as sons and daughters of God as well. The Bible references Jesus as the firstborn among many brethren or many children. Who are the rest of the children? I'm one of them. You're one of them. Where he's the firstborn. So all of a sudden we kind of forget that he's kind of that older brother that shows us the ropes of what it means to interact with Papa God. And as we look at this today, we have to have the right mindset because if we, we can have something that's good and it's misused, it ends up in the wrong environment and it becomes hurtful. If we sit there and we don't remember that he's both, he's both God and man, and we just lean on one side, all of a sudden we can find ourselves in a place that we miss out on a lot. My dad, I uh, always <clears throat> love hearing stories of when my parents were growing up, and, and uh, my dad's dad was a man's man and loved all of the camping, adventurous stuff. In fact, my, my grandfather, who I, I never got the pleasure of getting to meet, um, died in an aircraft that he was piloting coming back from a deep-sea fishing tournament that he had won the year before that he had to go and defend his trophy. So it was just this super manly thing, flying a plane, going to Mexico, deep-sea fishing. I mean, just, he's a man. And my dad grew up with all the 
that with the hunting and the fishing and all this stuff. And that was, and I love hearing about all the, the cool stuff that they did. And, and I the, took one trip when uh, he was in his teens uh, to Yellowstone, which, of course, is every sportsman's place they want to go. And uh, so they go to Yellowstone, and they're doing some fishing there on the Yellowstone River, and that is not the concho. Um, it is not nice in uh, 82 degrees, and that the, uh, the catfish are, look like they're sitting in a sauna, chilling on the bank. This is some cold mountain runoff water in the middle of summer. It is cold. So they sit there, and they had waders. And, of course, waders are supposed to keep the cold water off of you. You know, you put them on, they come up to here, you're able to get into the water, stay dry, not freeze, good stuff, waders. So they had done some fishing, wearing the waders, going downstream a little bit, got to a rocky patch. Now, my dad's dad is, uh, I would have had the exact same response in this if it would have been me with my dad and his stuff. And, uh, but he has his dad's fishing gear, and all of a sudden the side of the, the bank starts to give way, and he starts to slide. So he's coming down, and he's losing control, and he sees the, the Yellowstone River there moving along real fast below him, and he's, he, he's got the, my, dad, my, my grandfather's gear, and he's like, I can't lose the gear in the river. So he ditches the gear at the last second and ends up in the Yellowstone River, saves the gear. But he ends up in the river with waders. Now, waders are great if you wade. They're not called swimmers, dunkers, cannonballers. They're not called any of those things. They're good if you're wading. And now this thing that was designed to protect him all of a sudden takes on all this water and now as he is trying to swim up and swim to the side, he has this huge drag on that's now not protecting him from the river anymore. It is trapping him in the river. So he tells that story as one of the most fearful, panicky moments of his life. And as he's zipping along and the river's current's carrying him, and as I had pulled up the only picture of the Yellowstone River that I pulled up, and getting ready to share this with you, there is this ginormous waterfall in the Yellowstone River. And I just saw my dad with his waders potentially going over that thing. It was just, it's, it's kind of scary looking. And so, but he's able to grab a hold, grab a, grab a deal with two fingers. Thankfully, he was in good shape, pull himself out, and praise God, live long enough to give birth and bring me along. So, just joking. Dad, love you. He's next door. And uh, and so, um, anyways, but that thing that it was designed to be a good, good thing in its right place, then all of a sudden, when it is carried too far, all of a sudden it brings on these unintended consequences. And as we just simply look and focus solely on Jesus, part of the Trinity, Jesus part of the Godhead, Jesus as divine, we will miss out on part of our connection to him. And see, and we'll sit there and we'll put Jesus up as this pedestal, on this pedestal, instead of Jesus as our image that we're growing into. All of a sudden, that one little shift 
takes it out there and we put Jesus in a place instead of saying, this is what I can grow into. This is where God's taking me. Then all of a sudden, then that, that shifted and we, we, we lose focus. See, we should never, ever, ever forget Jesus' humanity. Jesus reveals to us the right way to be human. See, we were created as human. Being human isn't a mistake. So many times you and I get frustrated with our humanness, but being human wasn't a mistake. God made us as human, and we were right, and we were very good there in the first part of Genesis. And then our, our willfulness and our sin nature as we stepped into that, as we, as we stepped into that other thing that, that Jesus dealt with fully on the cross, that got fully handled by that, then all of a sudden we feel like that identifies more our humanness then original creation and original design reveals our humanness. And Jesus is the big reset button. Jesus shows this is what it means to be human. This is where being a new creation in Christ Jesus, this is where we're going. In fact, if you want to do a little word study on your own and you look up Son of God in the New Testament, you'll see 66 references to Jesus as the Son of God. And you will see 87 references to Jesus as the Son of Man. He's referenced as both over and over. You think that the Scriptures put a heavier weight on Him being the Son of Man because we would tend to gravitate and make Him just simply divine because that honestly, the more divine He is and the less He's human, the more that takes pressure off of us. Because I just need His grace, and I just need to get through this, and I can just, I'm not growing into that image, and all of a sudden there's, there's not this place, this draw for us to step in and love like Jesus and treat others like Jesus and let Jesus really be our model and really be our guide. See, we get this place of His humanity, the last thing that we study of what He said on the cross. We, we catch this in John 19. Verse 28 says, Later knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled. You'll recall we we hit on this real fast on when we looked at Jesus fulfilling Psalm 22. And it says, And Jesus said, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. How much more of just a basic regular old human need is expressed than just basic thirst. Just basic thirst. Most of us, one of the first things we get up is in the morning we take for granted that we're breathing. Most people don't check that. There's a handful of you that do. But praise God, most of us don't. We're breathing and then we'll just think, man, we need something to drink. We need, we thirst. Scripture goes on to say that a jar of wine vinegar was there and so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And they recognized his need for thirst and mockingly tried to satisfy his thirst. But if we remember there in Psalm 22, 15, it says, "My, My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and you lay me in the dust of death. 
There's another passage of scripture later on in Psalms that says that they gave me vinegar for my drink. It was just complete fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. And I also think what's interesting is that Jesus' ministry is bookended by hungering and thirst. His earthly ministry. As soon as he is baptized and he, he, he hears the, the, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and he's carried off. Uh, in fact, um, let's go ahead and look in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. It says, and then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I don't know about you, but um, I've been prompted by God to do some fasting. Just a little quick thing. Fasting doesn't make your prayers more powerful. Okay, It's not throwing a fit and God says, well, I'm going to take you more seriously now because you haven't eaten. It's not spiritually holding your breath like a child until you get your way. Fasting, what that does is it takes everything and, and it begins to put things in order and our body regularly craves food and we are, we are a spirit, we, live in a, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves who's in charge and that the spirit is in charge. And so there are times the Holy Spirit will lead us to fast. And as Jesus was led to fast, when I fast, guess what? I get hungry. More than likely when you fast, you get hungry. When Jesus fasted, he got hungry. I don't know about you, but that makes, me, that makes me feel a little better. That somehow I'm not missing it. I'm not some weenie faster because I get hungry. It's like, Lord, I thought I'd be a little more spiritual than this and maybe not get hungry. And Jesus got hungry. But he stayed focused. He stayed on. And in fact, he was so hungry that that's where the enemy, the tempter, came in. It says the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of of God, you're obviously human, you're hungry. Let's check out this divinity part. Are you really God? Are you really there? If you're the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He didn't say... The Son of God will not live on bread alone. He said, man will not live on bread alone. In this, what is he showing you and I in our humanness? How we're to interact. That you and I, not in Jesus' part of his divinity, in his humanness. We don't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He showed us there with hunger in that place. In fact, Jesus teaches just, just the next chapter over in the Beatitudes and in Matthew 5, verse 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What should be our number one hunger and our number one thirst? Is it okay for our bodies to need this stuff to function? Yes, God made us that way. That's not wrong. It's not wrong. What's wrong is when we're just are guided by our own carnal fleshly desires that is when things get out of whack that's when things get when we, instead of us allowing God's word to feed us and to be our guide see Jesus's humanity gives us hope for our own humanness 
to be restored. Every day we wake up and the things that frustrate you about yourself, you would put them on your humanness. I'm just, I'm tired of my anger. I'm tired of my frustration. I'm, I'm tired of my laziness. I'm tired of my procrastination. I'm tired of the fact that I don't have any self-discipline and I just eat this or, or I blow up like this or, or that I don't care. Lord, I just need to care about something. I don't know where my care went. And we would take all of those frustrations and just blame it on our humanness. And the thing is, is that's part of what God is bringing and restoring. Sometimes we can, if we hate completely something that God is working on, we won't let him work on it. So we have to understand this and let him do this in a different light. See, uh, one of the things that uh, I love my pastor, Pastor John Holler, has said is, uh, he said multiple times, he says, the miracle isn't that there's a God on the throne in heaven. We would expect that. The miracle is that there's a man. That Jesus there at the throne of heaven. That is just mind-blowing. That is just amazing. And we're going to get into the full implication of this before we're gone. In fact, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people Does he want just part of the people? He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. People, I'm sorry that there's a line of thought out there that says that somehow there are just some people who were born to just go to hell. That's just not the case. It's not the case. He wants all people. If your theology says that somehow God created some people just to be bad and Populate hell. You're you're seeing God all wrong. It's just not the case. And Paul reminds his number one disciple Timothy that, that he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man, Christ Jesus. He He didn't say the Savior. He could have called him that. He could have said the Savior, Christ Jesus. The Lord, Christ Jesus. And all of us would have checked on the divinity box. Check on the divinity box. But he reminds his, his son in the faith, Timothy, that it's the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And this has now been, <clears throat> and this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. In fact, let's look at the message translation of Romans 8, 29. It says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outside to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. He is shaping our lives along the same lines of the life of his son. If we don't forget that Jesus shows us how to really be human, fully restored, fully right as humans, then we will pull him off and not have him in our metric for our lives. But when we recognize that that's what God is shaping our lives into, it changes everything. It says the son stands first. In the line of humanity, he restored. With the, with the resurrection, death was beaten, sin was beaten, and Jesus represents the first fully restored human. Oh, that should just get us excited. 
That should just see that this is the process God is carrying our lives on. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Him. And now I want to point out an interaction here before we get down to the bottom line of what this is all about today. I want to take us on a little journey through John 21. And this is Jesus after the resurrection. Okay, Get this in your mind. This is the nail piercings in his hand, in his feet, Jesus, okay? This is resurrected, already put in the grave, already came out, has already had some interactions with his disciples, has already shown them, already dealt with Thomas, already had all of those things. This is resurrected Jesus that we're looking at, okay? John 21, verse 4, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. It's because his disciples were out in the boat fishing. I think this is interesting. This is right after Jesus is resurrected, and all his disciples are fishing. The greatest news in all of history, and they're fishing. They're fishing. They had been fishermen. They just kind of went back to it. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't, there's still these processes and you have to get the whole story to read it. But this is where they're at. And Jesus goes to the shore and they didn't realize it was him. And so Jesus knows he's standing there and they're, they're not recognizing it's him. And I love this because I think Jesus is having some fun. I think he's having some fun with them. I really do. It says, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? You caught anything, guys? No. That was it. That was their answer to resurrected Jesus. And there was probably a no. Who's this guy? Little did they know. Now I want to remind you about an encounter in Luke chapter 5 before we move on. Because this is why I think Jesus is punking them. Because in, in, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus borrows Peter's boat, who's a fisherman, to be able to put it out from the shore, use natural acoustics. Jesus was a sound engineer and went out onto the shore, used the, his voice across the water to preach to a multitude. And then when it was over, hooked Peter up and told Peter, he said, go out and get it, go out. Let your, let your, go out and let your nets down for a catch. And he's like, uh, uh, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. And he says, let your nets down for a catch. And Peter's like, all right, since you say so. And lets us down and pulls in this huge haul of fish that's so big he has to call to his partners and his nets start to break. And Peter falls down and says, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sorry sinning dude. And he just has a meltdown there in the boat after seeing that haul of fish. He just has a total meltdown. This is one of their first encounters. And at the end of that, Jesus tells him, you're no longer going to be a fisher of, of fish. You're going to be a fisher of men. So that happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here's resurrected Jesus. And he says to there, and of course this is all the disciples. They all remember. They know the story. And he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Same song, second verse. So they decide to do it. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And when the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! You know Jesus is Joe. He could have just said, Hey guys, it's me. 
But he's like, let your nets down. I know he's just sitting over laughing. He's just enjoying his inside joke with his guys. And they listen and they go, it's the Lord. And he wraps his outer garment around him and because he had taken it off, which is funny. So he gets clothed to get in the water. I'm not sure what he looked like in the boat. But he needed to cover up before he saw Jesus. That's all I know. That's what it says. And so, anyways, he wraps his outer garment around him and he's taking it off and he jumps into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. And they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards away. And they landed and they saw a fire of burning coals with some fish on it and some bread. Jesus is having a lakeside barbecue. Jesus has a fire. Jesus is cooking some fish on it. This is resurrected Jesus, people. This is resurrected Jesus is having a lakeside barbecue. In our minds, we take resurrected Jesus and we stick him up in heaven and we disconnect him from his humanity and something that you and I would just do with our buddies and just hang out and have a lakeside barbecue barbecue and this is resurrected Jesus and he's there and he's having fun with his friends and he's got an inside joke and he's there and and he's messing with them and he's playing with them and he's enjoying their company this is resurrected Jesus so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore and it was full of large fish but Even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, then come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So resurrected Jesus eats with them. There's another time that Jesus shows up and they had had some broiled fish and they handed him the fish. I think they're trying to see like, is, this, is he physical? And he takes the fish and he eats the broiled fish. This is resurrected Jesus eating and enjoying and barbecuing and these things. And then he has a wonderful interaction with Peter and this is where Peter gets restored And it says, and when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. See, what I want us to go out of here today with is this understanding that we have a Savior who understands our unrestored humanness. If we are desperately embarrassed of our unrestored humanness, we will not bring it to him. And he's the only source of restoration. So what the enemy wants to do is as soon as we step over from death to life, he wants us to live in as little of that life as possible. Which then what does is he makes us embarrassed of our shortcomings, our struggles, especially with those who are other Christ followers. And then we don't want to talk about the hard stuff in our lives. And we don't want to be open about the difficulties and the struggles and how angry we still are and how unforgiving we still are and how trapped in certain habits we still are. 
and stay disconnected from the true source of life. He gets it. He understands our unrestored humanness. He came to restore it. And it's the only source of it. And Hebrews 4 gives us a beautiful picture. And please, this is what I want you. We built the whole case for this moment. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our own weakness, but he, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. It's not that he doesn't get it. He gets it. He understands it. He had just lived it outright and can empower you to do the same thing. And based on that understanding that he understands us, this is where this wonderful truth comes in. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Not ashamed. Not beat down. But approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When is your time of need? When you kind of got it all together, when you feel good enough to talk to God now about praying? No, it's in your time of need. Maybe you're here and, and you, you struggle. You struggle with different things. I'm going to ask you, the next time you're in the middle of it, call out to God. Maybe you deal with an addiction. Maybe you drink too much. Next time you're sitting there and you're halfway buzzed and you catch it, call out to God in your time of need. That's when the enemy will tell you you're beat down and he don't want to talk to you in that condition. But yes, he does. Yes, he does. Maybe you're alone and you're clicking on something on your computer you shouldn't be clicking on. And it's sitting there and it's right in your face. And you're sitting there and you call out to God in that time of need. That's when you find the grace and help in your time of need. If we take and we take God and stick him way over here and our time of need is way over here and we never let him collide, we will never change. We will never let his power and his grace take root in our lives. We won't. We'll take our sweet divine Jesus and stick him up on a shelf and totally sterilize him and not let him change our lives. Which is what the enemy would love for every believer, heaven-ready person to do. But how beautiful. Maybe you're in a, sit there and you're in a side relationship and you shouldn't be. And you know it. And the next time you're texting that person, call out to God in your time of need. Call out to God in your time of need. Maybe you're blowing up and you feel yourself losing it with your kids. Call out to God in your time of need. His grace is right there. He gets it. He's not mad at you. He loves you and he wants to be invited into your struggle so that he can bring the power and the mercy to have its, its strength destroyed forever. And if we don't get that Jesus is human and divine, we will never live in the grace we have. We won't. Bottom line, approach God with confidence because the resurrection changes everything. I want to create a quiet moment right here, right here, right here. I appreciate a few extra minutes.
And maybe you're here. Maybe you're uncomfortable right now. In the middle of your uncomfort, just there, you don't have just call out to God in your heart. Draw on him right now. Begin to bring that issue to God right now. Right now. Maybe there's a struggle. Deal with it right now. Maybe there's a a strained relationship that just makes you mad. Deal with it right now. There's grace and mercy there right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these that are here. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy just blanketing us at this minute. Lord, that we'll forever remember that you get us. You understand us. You understand our humanness. You understand it. And Lord, and it's in the middle of our time of need that we can come to you and find grace and mercy and we can approach your throne boldly. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you're the one that changes our lives. You don't tell us to fix it. You just want to be invited in and you do the work. Lord, we invite you. We're new creations being restored every day by the power of your spirit in our lives. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you're like, I get that. I get that. I want that. I always thought being a Christian was about something else. But I get that that Jesus died for me. I get that Jesus provided it. And I, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to put my faith in him today. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand up. Awesome, awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Believers, I want you to lift your voices with these as we pray with them. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for sending Jesus that he is your son and my older brother that he's showing me what it means to live as your child. I thank you that you love me that I'm restored right now based on what Jesus did. Today I'm your child and you're my father and I'm heaven ready right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes. If that was you, we've got some resources over here. We've got the Ramirez's over here and the Lahones over here. We've got somebody in T9. Thank you for giving me a couple extra minutes today. Let's stand up. I want to pray over you as we go out of here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the strength of your spirit. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for you being at work in our lives, Lord, and that your power, your resurrection changed it all. And, Lord, we're going to go out of here conscious, Lord, that you want to be invited into our entire lives. And we give you permission today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Have an awesome day.